You are listening to the Kairos Des Moines podcast. So it was a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we had just moved in to our new house and one night, uh, or actually it was one morning and uh, she turns to me and she says, it's weird, I thought I heard this sound last night, like this weird scratching sound. Well, and we were like, oh, we'll I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Next night, uh, I feel this, this pushing, this, she's hitting me at like three in the morning. She says, Chris, did you hear that sound? And I said, no, I was sleeping. And she says, I hear the scratching sound. And I am hard of hearing and also very asleep. Didn't hear it. Next night, Chris, wake up. I hear the scratching sound again. And I listen. You know what? I kind of hear the scratching sound. And uh, sk- skip forward a few more nights of this. And I was punching the ceiling in the middle of the night, standing on the bed, trying to scare whatever animal has made this scratching sound. Like, whatever has happened, I am trying to stop this thing from happening anymore. Uh, and uh, I heard that you could deter animals by playing loud music. So I, I took a speaker and I, heard, and I just like blared the loudest music I could and just threw it uh, into the little hole of the attic. You know, like the rooms in your house that have like the little hole that you can like push up and there's the attic. I just threw a speaker in there and then played the loudest like under oath or something that I could think of to try to scare whatever it is out of there. And keep in mind, this started just from, hey, I thought I, I, thought I heard something last night. To all the way from me hitting rock bottom, which is throwing electronics into the ceiling and, and just pounding on, on the roof. And I tell this story because there are plenty of examples of this happening throughout, uh, you know, kind of culture. And we have a lot of different phrases for it. One of the phrases is the straw that broke the camel's back, death by a thousand cuts, a million different names that we have for this thing specifically. And... Just to like address the issue, it was actually not a bat. I'm scared of bats, and so I was like, I'm not messing with that. They're terrifying devils. We need messengers. And so um, it was actually that when it got really windy, there was one branch that just kind of scratched my roof, and it made this little sound. So nothing I did was ever going to make any difference. So eventually, I climbed up on the top, top, top of a ladder and cut it down. Anyway, all that's to say, um, we all have these things in our lives that... It doesn't start to be a big deal. It doesn't start to be the most annoying thing in the world. Notice the scratching sound actually never changed, but over time, I go from nothing to enraged about it. Um, It's not always as trivial as something as a scratching sound. Sometimes it's a pet peeve, uh, something uh, in a relationship that keeps going until it actually gets between you and another person. Uh, Sometimes it's a lie that you hear over and over and over again until you start to believe it. And this isn't just a modern day thing. We didn't all of a sudden just uh, start to fall, uh, fall to these kind of annoying habits. This is human nature. This is something that's happened throughout 
history. And it actually has uh, something to do with our story from Scripture as we continue our Lenten series. Uh, We are continuing this Lenten series called 40. And it's where we look at this number 40 in the Bible that shows up a bunch of different times. 40 is a weird number because it's like oddly specific, but it's random enough that you wouldn't think it'd be very prevalent. Prevalent, But in Scripture, the number 40 shows up 157 times. It's a lot of different times. And it's been used a lot of different ways, but we believe that it's being used strategically by the authors of the Bible. The Bible was written over a long period of time by a lot of different people in a lot of different places. But we believe that those authors brought together by the Spirit, like in this work being brought together by the Spirit, these authors have read these things, and they're trying to make us notice something. That when you see a 40, you think of another 40. When you, you notice and you think about where God has been working in people's lives. And it's a time of struggle sometimes. Like we've talked about Israel wandering in the desert. They wandered in for 40 years. Instead of taking the direct route to the promised land that God was promising them, instead they kind of just messed it all up again and again and again wandering in the wilderness. And Uh, It's also been a time of trial, like we talked about Jesus being tempted in the wilderness uh, by the deceiver. Uh, Forty days of showing us that we actually get to choose God instead of uh, succumbing to whatever um, easy route we want to take to end our own suffering. And our story for today is probably one that you know, but the 40 part might be part that you don't know about this story. You grew up hearing this story. But uh, maybe you'll be able to see it in kind of a new way here tonight. The story we're looking at is the story of David and Goliath. And uh, our story begins with David, who is the runt of the family, the afterthought of the group. Uh, So much the afterthought that when somebody told David's dad that one of his sons was going to be the king, he brought in all of his, uh, his, the new king of Israel. They brought in all of the sons and the Samuel's like, nope, 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 nope. And he's like, don't you have any more? And he goes, oh yeah, I have David. He didn't even get brought inside. That's how much of an afterthought he was in his own family. And his brothers, uh, his oldest brothers are out fighting, getting the the, uh, armies of Israel are assembling uh, against the armies of the Philistines. They're kind of like right up against each other here, getting ready to do battle. And so his dad says, go bring your brothers lunch. And so he's like, yeah, sounds good, dad. And so he takes a break from him doing the lowest work of being a shepherd to take his, his, uh, his brother's lunch. And this is where our scripture picks up in our story for today. So we're going to look in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So feel free to flip to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 4. Chapter 17 in 1 Samuel verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, place where the Philistines are from, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Fun fact, rough translation is nine, nine. Nine foot nine inches is how much six cubits and a span is. Taller than nine feet, closer to ten. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels, a.k.a. 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. The spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That's 15 pounds by itself, just the tip of his spear. In case you're missing the point, big dude. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, 
Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel, the ones who represent God. Essentially the name Israel, meaning to wrestle with God, Yahweh, defying God. I defy God and the people of God. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified because they didn't think they could beat them by themselves. They're a smaller group of people. And they couldn't beat the one-on-one whole proposition. They, they, they're Owen too. Now David was the son of an Ephratite named Jesse. who was from Bethlehem and Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war, like we said. The first one was Eliab, the second, the greatest name in the Bible, Abinadab, uh, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Again, not even getting to be a full-time soldier. He wants to fight, can't. That's how much of a runt he is in the circumstance. For 40 days, the Philistines came forward every morning and evening and took this stand. There's our 40. Because a lot of times what we think about the story is, oh yeah, well they kind of squared up against each other and Goliath stood out and made this challenge and David comes out and he's like, I got this. And then they do the whole battle and then it's done. But I think the important part that we miss is 40 days they line up and have to stand there as if they're going to fight and listen to this Philistine tell them that they are nothing. For 40 days, they have to stand there and hear about how their God is not as strong, about how they are not good enough, how none of them, not even one of them, is strong enough to defend the land that their God has given them. And I think that that's the piece that we miss is how demoralizing that absolutely has to be. For that amount of time, the Israelites had to stand there and hear about how their God wasn't going to provide. And it might look to us, it might look to us like um, that, they, that they were at a standstill, that they were two just armies facing each other. But really, when you really look at it, they were actually losing, right? Because the thing is, even the Israelites, even though they hadn't fought Goliath, their refusal to confront the lie meant that it was still winning. My guess, and I'm not trying to like have a hot take on the Bible here, my guess is that Goliath was not nine foot nine. My guess is that Goliath seemed taller every single day they were forced to stand there and listen about how they weren't good enough. My guess is that as they continued to be demoralized by the words being told to them, by the lies just washing over them for 40 days, they had to get ready to hear about how they weren't going to measure up. He got taller as they dragged on and they continually bought into the lie that they had no chance. Now the lies that confront us in life, the lies that we refuse to address slowly become a part of how we see the world. If we allow them to speak unchecked, if we don't address the issue, then we actually start to believe those lies. And that happens to all of us in a lot of different ways. 
whether it's a lie about ourselves, about a lie of who God says that we are, um, if you know somebody telling us something different than what God tells us, whether or not we're good enough or we're smart enough or Maybe you have in your mind, I will always be, and then you insert that thing you play in your mind all the time, the worst mistake you used to make, that embarrassing moment that you had, that worth, that low point, you say, oh, I'm nothing more than that. That is this type of lie. But I want to, and it's different for all of us, but I want us all to leave here with a couple of clear objectives, a couple of clear steps on what we can do, regardless of what your lie is, whatever your giant is, kind of trying to speak these lies into your life, a couple of clear objectives on how we can confront those giants. And there, I list them out a little whimsically, uh, but I will explain what they are. So the first step is this, the first, first point. Um, next one. If you have a rock in your shoe, don't take Tylenol. That is the first point. And the, another way to say this, the solution to my scratching problem, I told a story about, the, about the, the scratching problem that I heard in the middle of the night, is not to buy earplugs. I'd be like, oh, well, then I won't hear it anymore. But the scratching doesn't change. The actual core issue isn't different. We often try to treat, and the PA, the PA person can say amen. Anybody who's taking biology or any sort of thing can, can say amen. We often try to treat the symptom, not the core issue. We often try to fix what, the way that we feel without actually addressing the thing that's making us feel that way. David did not say, King Saul, I got this idea. If we all plug our ears and face the other way, then we won't hear the Philistines talking to us. We won't hear that they're going to take over. And I know that sounds stupid. Because you'd say, Chris, the reason that's dumb is obviously they'll still be there. Obviously that circumstance hasn't changed. Obviously that wouldn't accomplish anything, but that's how we try to solve our problems. We try to make ourselves feel better instead of actually addressing the core issue. The solution to your bad self-esteem is not, fun fact, find somebody else to tell you how great you are. It's called self-esteem. It's not called other-esteem. Instead, we need to learn to hear what God says about us and let that truth be louder than the lies that we hear. The solution to our habits and our hang-ups, those brokenness, that, that thing we go back to frequently, the solution isn't numbing ourselves with scrolling or numbing ourselves with substances or checking out mentally into endless podcasts, even sermons or worship music. It isn't to mentally check out and escape to try to distract us from actually feeling the things and thinking the thoughts that are right in front of us. It's being honest with ourselves. Are we spiraling because we don't have community or because we can't bear to feel lonely? Only until we recognize that there's something that we struggle with will we be able to actually do anything about it. Step one, said another way, Besides, if you have a rock in your shoe, don't take Tylenol. Said another way is it's addressing the main issue. Step one is addressing the main issue. Excuse me. Step two. Something is only giant in comparison. Fun fact, I have a friend. His name's Tall Kyle. Uh, he helps downstairs. Kyle Swart, you might know him. Uh, he is tall. Uh, tall Kyle is 6'8". And um, hence his name, Tall Kyle. 
And Tall Kyle is not tall in a room full of NBA centers who are all over seven feet. Kyle is a giant compared to yours truly, and maybe even everybody in this room, but he is not in another circumstance. There is no such thing as um, intrinsically giant, right? Even the tallest mountain in the world is nothing compared to other planets in our solar system. Therefore, something is only giant or small or strong or weak in comparison to something else. Those judgment calls are all a comparison game. How many people here have we dealt with, how many times have we dealt with something that we thought was a big deal and then we heard a news story or found out something that a loved one is going through and all of a sudden we saw our problem a little differently. I remember when COVID hit and everything shut down a year ago next week and I had all these questions about how we were going to transfer buildings. You know, we, were, we weren't even in this building yet. And we were thinking about doing Kairos and I was like, what is going to happen? And uh, I had some nitpicky ministry questions about how it was going to work. And I was stressed about some events coming up. And then the world shut down and we couldn't see the ones around us, even loved ones. And some people from our church community uh, got sick and died. And all of a sudden, my nitpicky questions about how ministry was going to go seemed a little bit different. I can worry about the details of, I remember at the beginning, like, how am I going to get groceries? Why are people buying so much toilet paper? Like, you know, all these thoughts that we all wondered. And then I heard about an outbreak in our homeless community or in Central Iowa Shelter and Services where people literally didn't have anywhere to go. And the place that they went to get help, they got COVID from. And I was like, oh, I can wait on the toilet paper. I got some rolls left. We're going to be okay. What I'm not doing is attempting to minimize anyone else's struggles. Struggle is still struggle, and you do not need to compare yours uh, to anyone else in order to contextualize it. What I'm saying, what I am saying, if we really believe that we serve the God of the universe, the God that moves mountains and the, the spirit that raises the dead and lives and dwells in us and leads us to the next thing, even in our human brokenness, our problems cannot defeat the God that we worship, cannot defeat the love of Christ. We get to live... I'll find the next part of that sentence. With the Spirit of God in us, whatever we're dealing with can undoubtedly be a giant to us and probably feels that way, but is nowhere close to appearing that way to God. It's nowhere close to God. Not asking you to compare yourself to anybody else, although sometimes that does help. My mom used to have a phrase that said, if you brought your problems to a party where everybody was trading, you'd probably look around and you'd put yours in your pocket and you'd walk away. And that's not true for all of us, and I recognize that. But I'm, what I am saying is that no problem is too big for God. No problem is too big to scare God away from dwelling with you and leading you into the next thing. Step two is contextualizing. Step one is addressing the main issue. Step two is contextualizing, specifically within the love of God. Step three has its own slide. It is so long. Go to the next one. Um, your ability. Somebody needed to hear this, so I typed it all out. Right? This is for somebody. Your ability to destroy giants has nothing to do with what other people expect from you. That thing that you can't get to go away in your life, whether that's a voice in your head, literally or metaphorically, maybe something somebody's told you, an insecurity that you have, a situation that won't just quite go away, your ability to destroy that giant has nothing to do with whether or not people think you are capable of that. And it has everything to do with who God says that you are. 
God believes in you. It does not matter if the people that you are surrounded with do not believe that you will escape this trial that you're in. Jesus was surrounded uh, by the voices of the deceivers saying, why don't you just get yourself out of this? Jesus did, uh, instead focused on who God said that he was. Said another way, we need to replace the lie with truth. So step one is addressing the main issue. Step two is contextualizing. Step three is replacing lie with truth. And uh, David uh, models how this goes. So feel free. We're going to go back to our scripture. Uh, 1 Samuel 17. We're going to start in verse 32. We're going to skip around a little bit. But verse 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 32. David said to Saul, the king, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, meaning, hey, me. We'll go fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out in this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. Notice what he said was, by my estimation, by my rubric, you are not ready to accomplish the task in front of you. But notice what we're talking about. Exactly this is what David does. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep of the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from his mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Which is pretty metal, but he's making a point. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. The Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Notice what he says. Saul says, you are not good enough to do this, and here's why. And David said, no, 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 here's where God's been working in my life. David went in seeing the danger of the situation. He wasn't ignorant. But knowing not who Goliath said he was, but David went in knowing who God said that David was. And even when what's in front of you seems terrifying, we can do what David did. We can look back and see where God has provided for us before. Because we know how the story ends. He goes in, he strikes down uh, Goliath. And notice, uh, Saul doesn't just go, you're a funeral kid. Because keep in mind, if he loses, they all have to quit. That's a one-on-one -on -one thing. But this kid walks up and says, no, 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 Saul, the God that you serve has prepared me for this. Where Saul was focused on his category and his understanding of what it meant to be worthy, his understanding of what it meant to be prepared and equipped and ready, David was focused on God. Even when what's in front of you seems terrifying, where has God been before? Whatever you're dealing with today, whatever you're at with this step of journey in life here, uh, we are all in different stages of these different three things. Maybe uh, one of these three steps kind of grabs you or, or speaks to you more than others because that's where you might be at facing a particular giant. Maybe you have a whole squad of giants. That's the collective plural. Uh, the, uh, a whole squad of giants or maybe it's just one thing that um, has been stuck in front of you. You know, maybe you realize that step one is for you and maybe you've been trying to make yourself feel better instead of actually addressing whatever the thing is. But you realize that you need to actually confront the main problem. Maybe for your uh, giant that you're facing right now, you're being, you've been so close to the issue for so long and you've been so isolated that you've actually lost perspective of what's going on around you and you realize that you need some relationships to contextualize that or to set a reminder to pray uh, and recenter yourself in the middle of the afternoon when you're feeling overwhelmed 
or stress to resize your giants to the appropriate stature. Maybe you're realizing that you need some people that's able to resize that giant for you. Maybe you just need to commit to remembering who God tells you that you are instead of whatever your giant, be it a person or a circumstance, tells you that you are. This could be a small group. It could be a time of uh, daily prayer. Likely is both. Look like hanging out here on Wednesdays. It could be uh, getting somebody's number from this group and texting somebody saying, hey, I'm going through this. Just pray for me. I'm a little worried about it. But being in a community of people who are able to recontextualize how big our giants actually are. Because our God sees us and calls us into bigger and better things, defeats the giants in front of us, and has been working in our lives to help us to do just that. Amen. So that's something that we want to explore together in case... Uh, you're not as familiar. We do discussion groups here. And so um, you can split off into a couple of groups. It's totally fine. Um, the question are these. Um, give it a good, you know, uh, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Um, first question is, what is your pet peeve? What is something that drives you crazy? Here's mine, because you asked. Um, people that put the registration sticker, you know, the car, that, this little sticker you have to get in your car, people who put it all the way around their license plate. That's not where it goes. It goes on top of the old one. I'm not throwing shade if you don't do that. Just go and sin no more, okay? Like you, you have been enlightened, okay? That's my pet peeve. But we all have these things, and I say that in jest, but we all have that person or that circumstance that all of a sudden we become our worst self that we lose our perspective that God gives us way quicker in a certain circumstance with a person. So what's your pet peeve? It can be something as stupid as mine or something as meaningful as whatever yours really is. <laughs> uh, second is, what do you feel like is your main step? And I put them there. Um, it can be as simple as just naming it or you can, you can go into detail with that. But again, that's addressing the main issue, contextualizing the problem within who God actually is. Uh, or maybe you're just ready to replace that lie with some truth. So um, we're going to do that. I'm going to pray for us. We'll break off. We won't, again, come back or anything, but uh, you will come back next week because I'll feed you. Uh, but if you have any questions, feel free to hit me up. I added all of the old, I got our podcast stuff sorted out, so all of our old messages are all on there. Feel free to jump on, on the link in the bio. You'll be able to check those out. Please know that I'm praying for you. I'm super excited for those of you who are getting closer to this big uh point of jumping off into the big wide world around you um and i am so excited for some of the things coming for next year those of you uh who will be around so let's pray together lord god we thank you uh for all these people in our lives new friends and old friends um people that are in our lives on the regular and people that um are are we're just kind of uh putting relationships together god i pray that these students would see that they're at the beginning of something special that they would see uh, amidst this crazy spring season that you're bringing new life, not just in the physical world around us in the form of spring, but also in our lives. Spirit, be with us palpably, be unmistakably you this week as you show each and every one of these students what their next step is in slaying these giants. Maybe we didn't even realize it's a giant and then we kind of see it clearly this week. Maybe we're just ready to take whatever next step it is to see ourselves the way that you see us. Bless us all with health and with safety, God. And help us all to come back um, the, your joy in our hearts uh, as we seek to do life with you. It's in your good, good name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.